Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Peninsula Bible Church Cupertino. My name is Spencer Cho, and I'm thankful to be with you this morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 11. And this scripture reading will be a call and response. I'll read the words of the leader. You'll all say the words of the people, and then we'll all end together. So let's turn our hearts to worship. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. He says, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you please join me in prayer? Dear loving Heavenly Father, thank you for today. We thank you for the pri privilege of allowing us to worship you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who you have sent to die for us so that we may be in relationship with you. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your spirit to guide us and encourage us when we face trials and persecution. Heavenly Father, we pray for the persecuted church in Tunisia. We pray you protect and encourage the Tunisian Christians as they endure persecution for your name's sake. Heavenly Father, we pray that you soften the hearts of the Tunisian government and its people. We pray that one day Christians can worship you openly and freely so that others may come to know you. Heavenly Father, we pray for healing in our country. It seems everywhere we look, we're being divided. Lord, when the world caves in, help us to cling to your promise. Lord, we pray for our leaders. Help them to make wise decisions. And Lord, remind us and help us to see everyone as made in your image. Let that fact guide our conversations and interactions with those we meet. Heavenly Father, we pray for our own church family. We pray for wisdom as we search for a women's pastor, facilities manager, and an administrative assistant. Help us to be patient in this time of searching. Lord, we also pray for our new family members here and pray that they continue to find community, support, and love. Heavenly Father, we ask for your continued guidance on our own walk of faith. Lord, we confess that we don't always put you on the throne of our hearts. Instead, we have put other things there, whether that be ourselves, our careers, finances. And Lord, we just take a couple of moments to confess these things to you. We thank you, Lord, for being a gracious God who is always ready to forgive us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We now turn our attention to our sermon today. And in preparation, I will read our scripture reading. Sean will be hitting on some of the same themes as last week's sermon, the persecution and trials that disciples of Jesus face, and how the Spirit is with us through those trials and persecution. So hear these words from 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Sean, please come teach us God's word. All right, thank you, Spencer. That was his first time. Let's give him a hand. Yeah. 
Thank you. All right, well, good morning. As uh, Spencer said, we continue with our studies today in the Gospel of John in what has traditionally been called the Upper Room Discourse. And as Spencer said, we'll hit some of the same themes as we saw last week. If you remember, we ended last week with a reflection about what we know to be true in the places where we spend most of our time. And we listed four things that we knew to be true about those places. These four things are actually true about all the places where we live and work. Number one, I know that for the most part, the people we interact with in the places we work and live are trying to make sense of life. Some are progressing forward in life, others may be struggling. But on the whole, the people we interact with in the places we work and live are trying to make sense of their existence. They are trying to become fully human, fully alive, in St. Irenaeus' words. Number two, I know that the enemies of life are at work in these places. Sin, evil, and death are at work in the places where we work and live. Sin, evil, and death cause injustice and power grabbing and jealousy and broken relationships. They also cause frustration and disappointment and sickness and pain and suffering. There are powers at work where we work and live which oppose Jesus and his good purposes. Number three, I know that those powers don't have the last word. They don't have the last word in any of the places where we work and live. Sin, evil, and death do not have the last word. Sometimes it feels like they do, but things are not always as they appear. They are defeated foes. Jesus has not abolished them yet, but he has defeated them. And therefore, he has the last word on everything, in every place where we work and live. And number four, according to this upper room discourse, I know that we are not alone in any of our places or situations. There is a presence with us in all of those places where we work and live. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit is with us. The paraclete, which is just like the presence of Jesus, is there at work in all of these places and situations. He is on the job there, bearing witness about Jesus. Yes, we who follow Jesus are also called to love and do good. But what Jesus emphasized in the text last week is that even if we don't show up, the paraclete is still there, on the job, bearing witness. The paraclete is actively bearing his own witness to Jesus. As Michael Green has said, it is the role of the Spirit to make Jesus attractive to people. We try to make Jesus real and attractive to those around us, but in the end, there never was a woman, man, or child who came to living faith in Christ 
unless the Holy Spirit made Jesus real and winsome to them. You and I cannot do that. We can only construct a neon light. The Spirit has to light it up. <laughs> so how does the Spirit light it up? What are some of the ways the Spirit lights up the neon lights? That's what we'll talk about today. So let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, as we come to your words today, we ask that you would illuminate our minds, rekindle our hearts, strengthen our wills through your spirit, the blessed paraclete. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, I invite you into our text today, John 16, beginning in verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, if you remember, last week we said that the world, according to John, is human society organizing itself without God. The world, according to John, resists, rejects, and rebels against Jesus and Jesus' disciples. And here, Jesus restates his words regarding persecution. Anyone who follows Jesus can simply expect to be persecuted. Because the vine was persecuted, any branches connected to the vine will also be persecuted. This is simply the cost of discipleship. Now, I think it's important to point out here that this is no theoretical matter, right? Researchers have determined that the 20th century has produced double the number of Christian martyrs than all other previous 19 centuries combined. Isn't that amazing? According to Open Doors, you may know Open Doors. It's an organization which, which exists to stand with the persecuted church so they know they're not alone. According to them, one believer dies every waking hour. This is no theoretical matter. And this is why the Wednesday morning prayer group, which you're all invited to, <laughs> Praise through the World Watch list that Open Doors publishes. Their list contains the top 50 countries of highest persecution in the world. And I probably don't need to mention it that some of our partners live in those persecuted countries. This week, as Spencer prayed in his prayer, we prayed for Tunisia at number 35 where women are particularly vulnerable to persecution. So I would encourage you to grab a hand of someone being persecuted and stand with them. 
Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, these things probably, probably don't surprise you. What is surprising is that Jesus says some of the worst persecution will be done in the name of God. You may be familiar with the Book of Common Prayer. It's a liturgy of the Anglican Church, and we sometimes pray the prayers from this. They're, we call them, they're called colics. It was originally written by a man named Thomas Cranmer, and it is said that a sermon was being preached while he was burned at the stake 15, in 1556. According to Jesus, some of the worst persecution will be done in the name of God. So why does Jesus tell his disciples these things? Well, it's not to scare them off. It's actually to encourage them to stand firm, to not fall away. The thinking is that if persecution had hit them without any prior warning, it would cause defection. But now, with this warning, Jesus' disciples can be better prepared for persecution because it is coming. And now we can definitively say that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, although these texts may sound discouraging to us, as I've reflected on these texts, I've found two particular points helpful. One is that the context of this persecution is intimacy with Jesus. We walk through life abiding, abiding in him. We are connected as a branch to the vine. We have a deep intimacy with him throughout our lives. And secondly, we are never alone. We are never alone. We have the presence of the blessed paraclete with us and in us, the spirit of truth. And that's where Jesus goes next. So verse 4b, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that's the paraclete, the word paraclete there, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's to the disciples' advantage that Jesus goes away. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but let me summarize in case you missed it. How could it be to their advantage? Well, as Jesus says here, because when he goes away, he will then send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And the paraclete can be present everywhere. 
For those first disciples, if they were in Jerusalem and Jesus was in Galilee, they could not experience his presence. They would need, need to travel to Galilee to be with him. But after the paraclete comes, there's no need to travel anywhere to experience the presence of Jesus. The paraclete's presence, which is just like the presence of Jesus, will be everywhere. That is to say that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, universalizes the presence of Jesus. So what is the Spirit doing everywhere? Well, from last week's text, he is bearing witness about Jesus. He's testifying to the truth of Jesus everywhere. But how does he do it? Well, Jesus says here in verse 8, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit will convict. The word here for convict means to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrong. In this sense, the Spirit is like a prosecuting attorney proving someone to be in the wrong. Not in the sense of proving it before a judge, but in the sense of bringing about personal conviction within a person's heart and mind. But in this sense, convict can also mean convince. Convince. The paraclete will convince the world about Jesus. Notice it is the paraclete who convicts and convinces the world, not us. It's the paraclete's job to break through to the world, not ours. How does he particularly do this? I don't know, but I know he does it. I'm an example. He convicted me of the truth of Jesus. Sure, my parents were involved. <laughs> I had a youth pastor that was awesome. He was involved. But it was the Spirit that worked in me to convince me of Jesus. And Jesus says that the Spirit convicts and convinces the world of three things. Verses 8 to 11. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, those are theologically heavy words, aren't they? <laughs> they are heavy words. So let's look at each one separately. The paraclete, first of all, is out there convicting the world of sin. Convicting the world of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus says, verse 9. Now this has to be one of the most audacious things Jesus has ever said. Did you hear what he says? Jesus redefines sin right here. Jesus has just revealed the very root of sin Fundamentally, sin is unbelief in Jesus. 
sin is not just bad attitudes and bad behaviors. Sin is not just missing the mark. It is all of that, but essentially sins, plural, are symptoms of sin, singular. Sin is not believing Jesus and all he stood for and all he claimed to be. Sin is refusing to trust in Jesus. And all of our sins, plural, essentially arise from not trusting Jesus and not trusting his way of life. And Jesus says here that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is at work in all of our places and situations, convicting and convincing people, I'll say convicting people of this sin of unbelief convincing people of the truth of Jesus. And isn't this exactly what happened in Acts 2? After Peter's sermon, the text says the people were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter what they should do, and Peter told them to repent about being wrong about Jesus. Number two, righteousness. The paraclete is out there convicting the world concerning righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and you will see him no longer. Righteousness. It's a rare term in John. Paul uses it everywhere. John doesn't. (laughs) And here it's used in a negative sense. And I think the nuance here is the rightness or wrongness of behavior. I think that's what John's saying here. Or I guess to say it better, what Jesus is saying through John is that the Spirit will convict people of their knowledge of right and wrong. Throughout the Old Testament, God denounced those who call evil good and good evil. In the time of the judges, the repeated refrain was that the Israelites were doing what was right in their own eyes, not in God's eyes, in their own eyes. In Isaiah, we are told that the righteousness of the people was like filthy rags. They didn't know the right way to live. Then we come to John, and Jesus denounces the religious leaders because of their self-righteousness. They placed great emphasis on the Sabbath rules, but they got angry at the healing of a lame man. They possessed the law of Moses, which says do not murder, and they end up participating in the murder of Jesus. They got it all wrong. Paul will come along and insist that unbelievers do not know the righteousness that comes from God, and they seek to establish their own righteousness. Their sense of right and wrong was all wrong. And Jesus says here that the paraclete will convince people of their faulty view of right and wrong. And he convicts people according to verse 10. Because Jesus goes to the Father. So what does he mean by that? Well, follow me here. Jesus' path to the Father goes through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. Jesus and his way of life are vindicated with the resurrection and ascension. Jesus' view of right and wrong is vindicated. 
through the resurrection and ascension, the Jesus way is confirmed as the true and right way to live. What he said and what he did really was of God. And it's confirmed through his path to the Father. The Spirit convinces people of that great fact. And who's the primary example of this? Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He hated the name of Jesus and everything it stood for. Saul wanted to get rid of the Jesus movement and anyone involved in the Jesus movement. But the Spirit broke through to him. That he was, in fact, wrong about Jesus' path to the Father. The Spirit revealed to him that the Jesus way was truth. And number three, judgment. The paraclete is out there convicting the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, the world's standards of judgment are all wrong. The world that resists and rejects and rebels against Jesus, their judgment of the living God is all wrong. The world thinks that the cross is where Jesus is judged and Jesus is condemned. But the exact opposite is the case. The cross is where the world is judged and then redeemed. The cross is actually where Satan is judged and dethroned and, and defeated. The battle is won at the cross. The weakness of the cross is, the, is actually the power of God. The foolishness, foolishness of the cross is the wisdom of God. And the paraclete comes to convince the world of this great fact. So three ways the paraclete breaks through to the world, the world that organizes itself without God, that resists, rejects, and rebels against Jesus, three ways that the paraclete breaks through. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes a lot, a lot of time. Sometimes the work of the paraclete brings great hostility. But Jesus says here that we can trust that the paraclete is at work in all of our places and all of our situations, convicting and convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does he particularly do it? I don't know, but I know he does. Otherwise, there'd be no hope for any of us. There'd be no hope for the world. Without the Spirit, no one could ever break free, break free from the chains of the evil one and turn to Jesus. And so I think this passage should provide great encouragement to those of us who follow Jesus as we go about our daily lives interacting with a thoroughly secular culture. It sometimes feels hopeless out there, doesn't it? Maybe it's just me. 
But as the people around us search for meaning and hope, how do we offer a word of grace and truth? It isn't easy. But hopefully this passage passage encourages us again that long before we show up, the spirit of truth is already there. And he's already been working, convicting and convincing. As we defined evangelism last week, evangelism is listening in on a conversation the Holy Spirit is having with another person. And speaking up, only if invited by that other person or by the Spirit. I was reminded this week of our RSCP ministry. We are finishing our month of hosting. Thank you to all of you that participated. I think we had over 70 volunteers. Thank you to all of you. Uh, It's been a really great month, and our guests really love our church. (laughs) But this week I was reminded, um, we describe this ministry as a listening ministry. That's how we describe it. We listen before we talk. Because listening sends a message of love and care. Listening tells the other person that they're not an object. They're not an object. They are a person made in the image of God. And you know what? By doing this, by approaching this ministry that way, many of our guests in the RSCP ministry have invited us to pray over them this month. What an incredible blessing you all have been to them. Our entire life could be considered a listening ministry. We listen in on the conversations the Holy Spirit is having with other people. And if they invite us to join the conversation, or if the Spirit invites us to join the conversation, we jump in. We jump in. That's evangelism. A listening ministry. Now at this point, Jesus continues giving more details of the work of the Spirit, but he switches now to how the paraclete, how the Spirit works within his disciples. Verse 12 He says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now remember Jesus is speaking to confused, fearful, and anxious disciples. They don't understand much at this point. And the events over the next few days is going to only add to their confusion, their fearfulness, and their anxiety. 
How can Jesus explain the significance of the events before they've happened? Answer, the paraclete will do it after they happen. So three ministries of the paraclete to the disciples are spoken of here. Number one, the paraclete will guide disciples into truth. The paraclete is the spirit of truth, and he will guide believers into all truth. In chapter 14, Jesus told them that the spirit would remind the disciples of all Jesus says. So here Jesus restates that promise. As Jesus spoke the words of the Father, the Spirit will speak the words of Jesus. Of course, as Bernard taught us from Hebrews, God spoke in times past through the prophets and then through the Son, and now Jesus promises to speak through the Spirit. Of course, this is a God who speaks, and he will speak through the Spirit the Spirit will guide the disciples into all truth, and the truth will set them free. Number two, the paraclete will declare the future. Part of the speech and guidance of the Spirit will be declaring the things that are to come. Now, before this discourse, Jesus did some of that already. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus disclosed some of the future recorded in Matthew 24 and 25. But apparently, there was more to declare, and Jesus says the paraclete would declare it. Now, I think this promise is primarily fulfilled in the writing of Revelation. As we're reading the last book of the Bible, we're reading the declarations of the paraclete through John. And indeed, John begins Revelation, as you ladies know, if you studied Revelation last year, by saying to the churches, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from Jesus Christ, the ruler of kings on earth and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The number seven reminding us of the perfection of the spirit. And Revelation ends with the spirit crying out with the churches, come Lord Jesus. See, the Spirit knows what is to come and discloses it to us. Because the Spirit knows that if we know what is to come, it will change how we live in the present. Eugene Peterson says this, for if the future is dominated by the coming again of Jesus, there is little room on the screen for projecting our anxieties and fantasies. The paraclete wants us to look out on the horizon of the future and see the one who has already won the victory. Jesus has won the victory. The future is not up for grabs. And that changes how I live today. So he will declare the things that are to come. And number three, the paraclete will glorify Jesus. Jesus is going back into the glorious presence of the Father. But in doing so, he will receive even more glory from the paraclete's ministry among believers. 
Nothing brings more glory to Jesus than for his followers to live his way. To live his way through the power of the Spirit. As we walk through our lives in the Bay Area, sometimes feeling confused or fearful or anxious, the paraclete is also at work inside of us to encourage us and empower us to live the Jesus way. And great, great glory comes to Jesus as the truths of the gospel are established and manifested in the lives of us, his followers. So while the paraclete is working in the world, convicting and convincing, the paraclete is also working in us, guiding, declaring, and glorifying. Thank you, blessed paraclete, the blessed Holy Spirit. As I close, I'm going to invite our worship team back up on stage. So as we leave this auditorium this morning, we do know those four truths that are true for every place where we work and live. People like us are searching for a life to the full. Sin, evil, and death are at work, but keep your cool. They're defeated. And the spirit of him who did the defeating is at work out there doing what none of us can do. Yes, we are to pray. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to be good newsizers. We are to be salt and light. We are to work the works of Jesus, aiming to be first string foot washers. And in the midst of it all, The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is working, doing his ministry of bearing witness to Jesus within us, but also without us. He's at work out there convicting and convincing, and he's also in here guiding, declaring, glorifying in all things, bearing witness to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So this week, especially when all those families come to your front door looking for candy, (laughs) take a listen. Take a listen to those conversations the paraclete is having and join in. If that person invites you, or if the Spirit invites you. What a friend we have in the paraclete. He's always with us. He'll never leave us. And he's always on the job. And thankfully, he never gets tired. Amen? Amen. Now receive this benediction adapted from one of Thomas Cranmer's colleagues. God, the King of glory, which has exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great glory to your kingdom in heaven, we ask you to leave us not comfortless, 
but comfort us, guide us, and speak truth to us by your Holy Spirit. And one day, exalt us to the same place where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns forever. Amen. Go in peace.